Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Shane Needham, Chief Founding Scientist, Director of the Board and Owner at Altruist Analytics. So, Shane, he is a very, very fascinating guy. With a PhD in chemistry, Dr. Needham has spent almost 30 years in the sector. He started his career at Pfizer and went on to found his own company that focuses on solving complex bioanalytical problems. He's had over 100 publications and external presentations in the area of LC and MS to his name and leads a team of world-class scientists. And if that's not impressive enough, beyond work, Shane is a podcaster, TEDx motivational speaker, champion bodybuilder, champion powerlifter, and a proud philanthropist. Hey, Shane, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Ramon. I am so honored to be a guest on your podcast, and I'm thankful for being connected to you and, and, and finding you. You know, I must say, when I when I first saw your name and somebody connected us, I'm like, this is awesome. I get to meet somebody who is related to the, I guess, discoverer or the inventor of Raman spectroscopy. <laughs> And, and I mean, what, a, what a disappointment. <laughs> not at all. I was absolutely, you have a fascinating career as, as on your own, and you've just done some really, really exciting things. So thanks again for the opportunity to be on your podcast. I'm honored. You're, you're so welcome. And uh, I have to say, I mean, obviously, when I, when I do um, podcast interviews like this, you know, we write the, the guest intro and the biog and... Um, you know, writing yours is actually quite difficult because you have so much stuff <laughs> to talk about. So I'm excited for our listeners to have an insight into you and uh, and your life, you know, within work and and also beyond it as well. So so just to start off with Shane, um, for our listeners that might not have heard of you or come across you before, do you mind kind of talking a little bit about you and your business and and kind of in a little bit about your story of how it all kind of came about from even the Pfizer days to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. You know, a lot of people ask me, what do you do? And I do have a complex, I guess, or hard to describe, um, what do you do? And and my answer to them, when somebody asks me, Shane, what do you do? My answer is whatever it takes. And that's my mindset. My mindset is about whatever it takes and anything I do and, and never being outworked. And we'll talk about that a little bit too, Ramon, as well. And I, I consider myself a father, scientist, entrepreneur, coach bodybuilder, powerlifter, um, MC, philanthropist, and a podcaster. I, I've started my own podcast. of It's called Secrets of Success with Dr. Shane Needham. I started that several months ago, and that is going great gonzos. Thank you to all you listeners and viewers out there. We're getting great engagement out there. And so thank you very, very much. I, I, I definitely, you know, you know, you can ask specific questions. And where, where do you really want to start, Ramon? Where do you want to start? I'd quite like to start. I am going to ask you what the difference between weightlifting and powerlifting, but I'm holding that that question for now because I don't know. Sorry, body lift, bodybuilding, and powerlifting, but I'll hold that thought for a second. And t- tell me how you got into the the sector, then into the kind of uh, pharma and biotech sector originally, because you did, I think, several years at Pfizer before starting your own business. So it'd be really good to to find out a little bit more about that, just to kind of give the listener a little bit of context. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for the question. And, and to, to say, how did I get started in this sector? I guess in the pharmaceutical testing sector or in the pharmaceutical environment. And so I graduated from Washington State University, and that's a, a, a college town, small town in, in, in Washington State, state of Washington. And I got my bachelor's degree in, in chemistry. And I actually graduated from there. And then I had my first career job opportunity, actually, to go work in Groton, Connecticut at then the headquarters of Pfizer, which was, you know, the Pfizer research headquarters in Groton, Connecticut. And that's where all the research was done at that point. And I took that, I, I jumped on that. And I, of course, I'm not really a, I, I'm pretty unique. I don't do things the standard way. And one of the reasons that I chose Pfizer, I had many job opportunities when I graduated in, in, a long time ago in 1993 with my bachelor's degree. But I took that job because it allowed me lots of educational opportunities to actually work and at the same time get my PhD. So during the day, I would work my you know full-time job during the day and during the week. And then on the nights and the weekends, I would actually do my PhD research with a great professor who I just honor and you know, um, God bless her soul. She passed away several years ago, but Dr. Phyllis Brown, she was amazing. One of the best, I guess, first people to really apply biologics to LC or to HPLC in the world. And she did some amazing stuff in the, in the 1960s that nobody was doing. And I, she was my PhD advisor. So uh, I had a stint at Pfizer and I worked with a great group there. I love to tell this story. Most people know that the leader in quantitative analysis of LCMSMS bioanalysis is SIEX. And SIEX kind of, with Tom Covey and some of those guys, Dr. Covey is still at SIEX, and he actually invented LCMS or APIs, AP, APCIMS, I guess, or how to connect LC to MS, and that the rest is history. And... I actually worked at Pfizer on serial number one instrument of an API three that they sold, the first one in the industry of a triple quadrupole mass spectrometer. I worked with Hassan Fuda, Mark Cole, just some great people. I learned so many things while working for them. And I also worked in a great group. So I got to present, I got to connect, I got to network and I loved it. I, I mean, my hobby was getting my PhD in chemistry. My hobby was reading journals. And I remember people making fun of me, to be honest with you. They would be out biking and hiking and they're like, are you really reading journals? I'm like, yeah, I loved it. I just, and I still do. I love what I do. And so that's how I got started. And then I, I had an opportunity to start, start a, a business back near where I, where I was um, born and raised in the state of Washington and Moscow, Idaho. And so I was a chief founding scientist of Alturas Analytics in the year 2000. And so far, so good. And it's just been a great journey. Always easy, never. Always challenging, yes. Always rewarding, <laughs> always. And it's just been a, a great journey. If you have specific questions, I would love to answer them. We've been, I, I never thought it would be as good as it was. Well, I guess I always had that vision, but it's just been an amazing journey. I mean, where we actually are known around the world for, you know, as a, a leader in LCMS bioanalysis, doing high-speed LCMS, dried blood spot, dried matrix spot analysis. But we're one of the, we're one of the, 
originals to do microflow LC and couple it with 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 MS and bioanalysis. And then we did integrated microflow LC with with PicoFuse and those types of columns with new objective with where you integrate the HPLC column into the ESIMS source. Amazing. And that some of that work's still going on and now we're the leaders in large molecule bioanalysis. It's just it's been an amazing journey that I certainly had a vision of. Did I knew it would take a lot of work? Absolutely. And that's what I live for is the challenge to never be outworked. I love that. And one thing I really like about your character is that kind of what you talked about there, that, you know, reading the journals and your thirst for um, knowledge and, and improvement. And how important has that been to the, the growth and culture of the business? You know, I think you've been going for the best part of 20 years, which is incredible. And what what has ha- what has your attitude, I suppose, um led to in terms of the way the business operates and any parallels that you can uh, draw between your your kind of mannerism, if you like, and your attitude and, um, you know, the way things presumably continually improve and get better within your business. Yeah, actually, that's critical. And here's what I here's what I say. And being also a coach, having been a coach in the past and had my own coaches, I, I have people who coach me, everybody needs a coach. A coach is somebody, and a coach, remember, coaching a wrestling team or a football team is no different than leading a professional business organization. No different. Leadership is all the same. And here's the deal, what I've learned. When I would coach kids as as wrestlers, I realized they have to have everybody who works for somebody, who is led by somebody, has to aspire to their leader. They have to. And certainly, there, you know, the, the difference between a four-year-old aspiring to a leader or a 14-year-old or a 34-year-old is way different. But they have to look at themselves and say, that person inspires me. And I'll, I'll, this last Christmas, I had the most touching card from signed by my staff that said, Shane, we are thankful for your inspiration. That goes all beyond anything that I could ever desire. To, to have them be able to look at me and say, I aspire to him, he inspires me, that then that then turns them into, man, I gotta, I gotta do what he's done. I've gotta work, I've, I've gotta work work like he's done. I've gotta take take risk like he's done. I've got to do everything at 110% like he's done. And I'll say this to my team. I'll say, it's okay to fail because we learn from that. I want us to fail to know where our limitations are at, and now we can go do it again and get better. So it's absolutely huge that to, to be that type of an example as a leader, people who can expire, aspire to you. That's great. And I've just got visions of my team, you know, um, spitting out their, their coffee and tea, thinking about me as an inspiration. <laughs> but it's incredible that, that you're... That thank you that your your team uh, think of you in that way. So I I imagine you are on one hand a great leader to work for because you are inspirational and you're also very driven. But I imagine for some people that don't want to necessarily I'm not going to say put in the hours, but they might not want to necessarily really push themselves to the limit. Has that has, how's that been for you in the past where you've maybe managed people or led people that just aren't on that journey with you or just they don't necessarily push themselves to that next level. 
is that frustrating for you as a leader or any tips to <laughs> to, to, to combat that situation? Because I imagine that's that's come up in, in two decades of running your own business. Well, you know, not only two decades of running my own business, but in two decades of coaching people and two decades of being a father and two decades of being a bodybuilder and powerlifter, they're all the same. All these this journey in life, we learn about how other people tick and how we tick. And obviously, Rowan, you wouldn't ask that question if you haven't seen that before. And, uh, and I, I know where you're going with this, and I really appreciate that question. And I, I remember talking to a Hall of Fame coach. This is about 10 years ago, because I'll be honest with you, when I first, even when I saw my passion for chemistry, when I'm 22 years old, new college graduate, everybody else is going out to party on Friday nights and Saturday nights, and I'm reading journals, I did not <laughs> understand that. And that's okay. That's, that's okay for them to do that. But I didn't understand who wouldn't love this as much as I do. I'm doing, I was doing my dream job then. I'm doing my dream job now. And I'm, I'm living my dream. I'm living my dream lifestyle that, that I can actually that lead. And so you're right. I didn't understand it. And it was frustrating. Talking to a Hall of Fame coach about 10 years ago, the, the man is incredible. He, he's, had, he's a wrestling coach and he's had eight Olympians eight kids that he's coached go to the, go to the, go to the Olympics. Amazing. Incredible. That is, that is unfounded. Okay. And so I was talking to him and he's like, and he, boy, you think I'm driven. He is driven. His, his idea of fun is wrestling with, you know, wrestling and having his whole team wrestle from midnight to 6am on a Friday. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and that's, and, and I was talking to him about that. I'm like, you know, do you ever get frustrated with your kids maybe not wanting as much as you and maybe not wanting to win as much as you and, and to compete and to succeed. And he said, yeah, I do, Shane, but you know what? That's what it's supposed to be like with a leader. You're supposed to be the one that's always the most driven. And that changed it for me. That changed it for me. He's right. It's okay if the people that look up to you, that 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 you coach or that you lead, don't have as much passion as you do. That's okay because that's why you're the leader. And that, that, that changed my mindset. I was like, okay, this kid that doesn't want to be a state champion or this person that doesn't want to be director of the company, they don't have to be. And there's a place for them. And there is a place for every mindset. As long as you have the right attitude and you share the same vision Mm -hmm. as the organization, there's a place for you. Now, if you don't, You know, if you don't have that positive attitude and you don't share that vision, that's going to be difficult. The number one thing is, though, are you coachable? If you can change, everybody has a role in any organization, period. Then that's no different than any relationship, whether it be a friendship, uh, a brotherhood, um, a a team or a marriage. As you know, if you're willing to change and grow, it will succeed. Let me ask you, where does, where does your work ethic come from? Cause that, I mean, you know, having, having read up about you and, and you know, spoke to you before, you seem to have this incredible uh, attitude and work ethic uh, in everything you do in life. Where, where does that come from? Is that, is that something that you've inherited from your parents? Is that, you know, just pe- people around you in life? You're really interested to know <laughs> where the origination of that, that, you know, exists. That's an easy one. My dad, oh, easy. There you go. My, my, my dad, um, let's see, uh, I'm going to do this quick calculation. Um, he turned 71 years old this, this year. He still works 60 to 70 hours a week. 
uh, and gets paid for it and he loves it. And he's also drawing from his retirement because he's old enough to do that. And he's like, why would I want, not want to do this? And he's, er, he's earned, he works for the same company for 45 years. So he's earned like nine or 10 weeks vacation. So he takes the whole summer off. I, I don't remember my dad. He was always working in the garage or he was working at work, you know, making a paycheck to support the home. And I don't remember him sitting around watching TV. I don't remember him, you know, we would play, we would go boating, we would, we would hike or we would hunt we would, or fish and those types of things. But there, you know, the, he was working. He was always busy. There was no downtime. Do I think we need downtime? Do I think, and he's learned too, and we've talked about this now, it's taken him 70 years. It's only taken me 50, but <laughs> we do need that self-care time and that downtime as well. And he's learned to do that. And I've learned to do that too, but it's from my dad. He was just always working. We were always chopping wood. You know, my brother would chop, I would stack. Then my dad would use a chainsaw and then my, my brother would um, stack and I would chop and it just, that's all I knew. And it's been incredible. And I certainly, that's where I've learned to compete and want to win. And I don't win at all costs, but I love success. And there's nothing wrong with people wanting to compete and succeed. That's what we were put on this earth to do. And some people in our society, Ramon, and I'm sure you've seen this, they think that that's ruthless. I don't think so at all. It's not. People, if you look at the actual neurobiology, it, you actually see that we are all wired to win. And guess what? You get to decide what a win is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 I, I love, uh, you know, the, I suppose the, the inspiration from your father. It's really nice to to hear and it's it, it's funny because somebody asked me recently kind of they were asking me where I learned to sell because I you know I'd never done a, I've not done sales training or business development training and I, and, I, and I had to really rack my brains and actually I was like well when I was seven I was working in my parents post office selling candy and trying to get this customer to send sell more candy so I was trying to explain That's right. that it's absolutely in my DNA to be able to um you know, you know, understand the value of something, understand that you can get someone to buy something slightly different or slightly more. And, you know, and, and you know, it's the, the joy of being an, an Indian kid is you work, in, you work in the business and you see your parents working every yeah. single day. So a lot of similarities there. And one thing you said I wanted to come back to is you talked about your team and, you know, people in your work environment learning from failure. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to know, about your failures or any mistakes. I, I kind of get the impression that you don't like losing and you don't like making mistakes, but you're one that probably really beats himself up and learns from those mistakes. So are there any kind of, whether it's career mistakes or learnings or failures that you'd be willing to share that you'd really learned from um, in the past kind of 10, 20 years or so where you've been uh, running your business? Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. And you know, I, I want to add to that work ethic, you know, because time happens and we get separated in time and space. And so I'm not as round as, I'm with my, as my, with my father as much as I used to be, of course, but I learned that from him as a young age, the work ethic. But you know, you know what drives me? People like you, Ramon, and my friends and my brother, I have a twin brother and he's a very successful pharmacist. He owns a pharmacy, him and his wife do. And, and we drive each other. And I love to see them succeed. I watch what they do. I love people to succeed. I, I love to watch people succeed. And it only drives me more. I'm not one of those one of those types that likes to see people failure or try to destroy them. No, I want to uplift and encourage, and and inspire those people. So I got to give all them credit too. Is and somebody like you. So thank you about failures. Um, 
You know, the probably the most difficult thing with for me, and I can't say they were failures because I absolutely – and if you listen to my podcast, Secrets of Success with Dr. Shane Needham, we always talk about at the end about a potential failure for the guest. And I don't believe in failures at all. Failures are not fatal at all. They're learning experiences. And so I would say – I can tell you this. I set some really aggressive goals. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always loved that to be disciplined. I knew that would provide me liberty and freedom later. And so I set some goals when I was about 17 or 18. I succeeded at making every single goal by the age of 35. And it was great, right? And then I I realized that I had left a lot of friendships behind. And I don't mean I don't mean friendships like I what would I say? Um I made anybody mad or anything, maybe because I was so driven, but I, I didn't focus on relationships and I've been focusing on the relationships. I, I really reflected on that and it's been the last four or five years where I focused on relationships and my life now is better than it's ever been relationally for the for right now than it's ever been, especially since the last over the last year and a half or two years better than ever. And I, I, I have some very my, – my circle is smaller, but these are people that I rely on, trust, can be transparent and vulnerable with. So do I regret anything? No. I never – I will never have regrets. I'm a go-for-it guy because the pain of discipline weighs ounces. The pain of regret weighs tons. And I so I, I don't ever regret. I always go for it. But I certainly have learning experiences and I've learned from a lot of things. And mostly it's about how important the relationships are in our lives. And that's something I've really focused on the last couple of years. And because of that, my life has been more amazing than ever. Yeah, that's it. That's a, a great point, Shane, around uh, the, the kind of regrets element there. And I have to say that's something that drives me with most of my bigger decisions in life is, you know, I, I take myself forward 10 years and, and think, if I don't do this, am I going to regret it? Yeah. And if I am going to regret it, that normally tells me it's it's you know it's the reason I went for it with my business. It's the reason I had more kids. It's the reason I moved to the US. <laughs> it's it, it the the fear of no of, of being regretful is actually a great motivator and a great great driver. So I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Let's let's talk a bit about um, powerlifting and bodybuilding because I imagine, I mean, I, you know, having known people that have done similar things, uh, you know, the amount of effort and discipline those uh, those sports require is, is unbelievable. So I'm kind of curious to know about well, first tell us a little bit about what, what they both entail, but also any parallels between you know what it's been like having a business and running a business and 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 also obviously you know perfecting your craft in terms of bodybuilding and powerlifting. Just yeah, is there anything that you've learned from both cross, you know, I suppose cross functionally that that's helped you in, in both? Absolutely. And I'll tell you what it is. Consistency is the key. Consistency. And so when you have a plan 
and you know how to eat and your plan is how to eat, your plan is how to train, your plan is how to sleep, and you are consistent with all of that, you can have success in anything you do. You show up to work every single day. You do your job and you do a little bit extra. That's where the word extraordinary comes from. You do ordinary and then you do the extra. That's extraordinary. Then you will absolutely have success. Or the parallels are uncanny. I actually think it is very important. That's why I think it's very important for kids and adults to compete at something like another activity. Maybe it's golf. Maybe it's um, being a, a baseball coach. Maybe it's being a wrestling coach, whatever it is. But or when you're younger, athletes tend to be competitive and they can be competitive and driven and dedicated and know what dedication and consistency means in the business world. So the parallels are huge. Consistency is the key. My last bodybuilding competition, I was more than twice the age of some of the people that I beat and I wiped the stage with them because you know what? I'd been training for longer, more consistently. And if you just, I, I've been training bodybuilding, powerlifting, weightlifting, weightlifting. I've been training since the age of 14 and I have not taken more than a week off in that amount of years. So you're talking 36 years I've been training with no more than a week off ever. And it's just consistency. Do you have to train through injuries? Yes. Do you have to train when you're sick? Yes. Just like going to work. You go to work when you have a stubbed foot. You go to work when you're sick, when you don't feel well sometimes. You know, you do those things and you do that and you show up and do the little bit of extra and you will always succeed. So the parallels are just crazy. I mean, you want to talk about the details of bodybuilding and powerlifting and, and all that, I, I'd love to. But the parallels with athletics and business life are huge. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And it's funny because you use the word consistency and I would use the word habit. You know, it's about, they're probably two in the same thing, right? It's about creating success habits and doing the same things over and over again and making them part of your vocab. And and I I actually, I draw a huge parallels between, uh, you know, marathon training and marathon running and actually running a business as well it's actually very similar in what it's what it requires in the dedication consistency showing up and you know getting slightly better every single time and you know moments of joy where you feel like you've cracked it and then moments of pain where you get it all wrong it's it's incredible that you can bring those um kind of consistencies together so so let me let me ask about um if if you could go back and you know give your 25 year old self some advice what what would you say you know i i i think about that a lot and it's a question i get a lot when i when i talk in front of especially young kids at at universities and whatnot and it, it's because we're on I don't tend to reflect and regret anything. Sometimes when I reflect and I say, I wish I would have done that, it feels like a regret. So to be honest with you, I wouldn't change a thing. Okay. But if I reflect, I will reflect. And I'll, and I'll tell you about a recent interaction I had with a very young college student who asked this same type of a question when I was, when I was given a, a, a talk in front of them. So I would say build relationships early. And so a lot of my relationships that I built early were, I, you know, and I think it just tends to be, this is just the, the facts of the matter. And maybe you've experienced this too. Men sometimes tend to build more, I don't want to call them faults, but not deep relationships in their lives because they're based upon work and just kind of superficial things. And like I said, it wasn't until about four years ago, four, almost five now, where I really had my first friend who we could share anything about and with. 
And that has changed my life. I wish I had that when I was 25. Now, here's, here's the thing though. Remember, I didn't have hobbies at age 25. I wasn't hiking and fishing. I wasn't going out on Friday nights. I wasn't going out on Saturday nights. Um, I, I didn't drink. I didn't do those types of activities. So do I regret that? No, because here's why. Back then, I lived like no one else. So now I can live like no one else. And that is an amazing thing. I, I, to be my age and to have, you know, think about the discipline that I had in my life and now to think about the liberty that I have and doing exactly what I've always wanted to do. So, it, it, but that's, relationships are important. That's what I would say. That's great. Great advice. And um, one of the first things you said in the conversation when we first started, the first word you used was was being a father, which is obviously, and then obviously you've mentioned your own father as well. So I'm, I'm really interested to know about uh, not necessarily parenting tips by any stretch of the imagination, but how do you, do you follow the same path as your father did in terms of just setting a great example for your children? Is, is that your... I suppose, mechanism for showing your children the best way to succeed in life and, and, and do the right things? Or is there anything else that you've learned that you do differently to, to what your father did? Well, the answer is absolutely. Let, yes, I do things differently than my dad did. And it's really interesting because I've become closer to my dad these last couple of years. I have teenage boys and I ask him for advice. And two years ago, I thought he was crazy. Dad, that's never going to work. They're going to get mad at me or whatever. Sure enough, it worked. <laughs> and I have the best relationship with my teenage boys that I've ever had. And so did my, has my dad learned about what, what, what works as a parent, what doesn't? Absolutely. And, you know, he, he still tells me he, he loves being a grandfather because he can, he can actually kind of say, see, I told you so. And he's right. And so he knows he wasn't a perfect dad. I know I'm not and wasn't a perfect dad, but we learned together. And what I can say is this, as far as, you know, how important fatherhood is, that's absolutely how I will always describe myself first. I, I'm first a disciple of God. I, I, I believe in Jesus. And then I'm a father. And I absolutely will always say that because that's my legacy, Ramon. Nobody will remember if I was a scientist 100 years from now. Nobody will remember how many awards and how many state records and state championships I had in, in powerlifting or bodybuilding or how many state champions I coached as a wrestling coach. They are going to remember my children's name. And I, that, I, I actually, believe it or not, that's my vision in my life. My vision in my life is to glorify God and leave a legacy for my children. And then I have missions on how to accomplish that. And that's my goal because nobody's going to, that's why I do so many things. I never want to be defined by one paintbrush. I don't want to be defined as just a scientist, as just an entrepreneur, as just a podcaster or a coach or a bodybuilder. Am I proud of those things? Of course I am. I am the most proud that I get to be the father of four wonderful children. That's great. Great. And I, I, you know, I love what you said about, you know, in a hundred years, you might not be remembered for your science. I'm hoping that someone I, I'm remembered for, you know, Roman spectroscopy and people just get me mixed up with that person and they just associate that with me. I will I'll take that right now and take full full credit for it. Um so I wanted to ask you actually before I, I'm gonna ask you about the sector that we work in because obviously we've covered a lot of things outside of uh, the kind of biotech and pharma pharma tech uh, pharmaceutical industry that we both operate. 
But my, my final question on the kind of previous section was, is, and normally I ask, how would your best friend describe you? And maybe the friend that you were talking about that you've connected in recent years and become very close to someone. How would, how would he or she describe you in, in three words? Um, loyal, dedicated, inspirational. Very good. Very good. I was going to ask you how your father would describe you. I wonder if this. <laughs> if I don't know. I, you know that that's probably a more tricky one. My, my, <laughs> my you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Maybe you've experienced this too. My dad comes from the generation where you didn't share a lot of your emotions and your thoughts yeah. with your kids, and so probably like your dad, and maybe it's just being a tough dad. I don't know because I, I don't get really emotional with my kids too. I don't want to put my vulnerabilities on them so then they have emotional baggage. I certainly don't want to be codependent, but my dad's a hard guy to read. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe pick up the phone after this and say, Dad, tell me what you think of me. <laughs> yes, maybe that's what I should do. <laughs> maybe I, but you know what? Maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, some things are better left, yeah, unsaid. So, um, all right. And so, yeah, the last five minutes or so, Shane, just, you know, obviously you've spent, uh, you know, a significant, well, your entire career in the kind of, uh, contract services sector, especially in the testing world as well. So what, I suppose, what major changes and trends have you seen, you know, from the early days to, to where we are today? And obviously, given, you know, the, how the world has turned upside down this year with COVID, really interesting to get your thoughts on what that means for you guys and your business. And uh, obviously, the, the large molecule space continues to grow, which I'm guessing has been positive for your business. So any insights on you know, industry shifts and trends and things that you're seeing in the sector would be, I'm sure the listener would find it very interesting. Well, let's try to separate that into two different segments and we'll separate it into what has happened over the last 20 years and also then what is COVID? How has COVID changed? Because there certainly are some changes. And so what has happened over the 20 years? Well, obviously we know that analytical chemistry, that is the measurement uh, to detect low level things in matrices, in it could be soil, in, in the pharma industry, sometimes it's a formulation or it's a biological fluid. And so that's biomedical chemistry. But when we think about analytical chemistry, nothing's really changed over the past 100 years. We want things faster, more sensitive, and cheaper. Those three things will always be a part of the actual value triangle when you think about analytical chemistry. And so, so what has happened over the last 20 years? Well, LCMS or mass spectrometry, they've coupled high-performance chromatography with mass spectrometry. That's routine now, and that has really changed how we detect things biologically, okay? Because obviously all biological fluids, they're not – we won't get too much into the science, but it, they're not – most of the molecules and most biomarkers and most things in vivo, so to speak, they're not volatile, so you can't do them via gas chromatography, so you do them via liquid chromatography. We won't get bogged into the details all that on that, although I love it, by the way. But um, but but that's we just get more and more sensitive instruments, and I am super excited to say that at the Farm Sci three hundred and sixty meeting for American Association of Pharmaceutical Scientists, I'm going to be giving an awesome talk on the history of LCMS and and just where we've come in the last twenty years. I mean, you know, if you were to look about. Four years ago to now, you look at it and it's like, oh, that's not much change. Big deal. If you look at it, every three or four year change is not that big of a deal. But when you look at it 
from 1989 to now, the changes are astronomical. And I'll be talking about that. The things that we thought were sensitive and low limits of detection back then are nothing now. And so that's how it, it, there's been a lot that's changed, but not a lot that's changed. I mean, we certainly see mass spectrometry has kind of replaced all other types, not replaced. I shouldn't say replaced. There are still uses for UV and fluorescence and electrochemical detection. A lot of those, there's still a use for them, but it's certainly become the standard tool for coupling LC and a detector like mass spectrometry. So that's kind of the standard analytical tool now for detection and analysis. But, and it's, it's starting to actually complement, now that we're getting to large molecule bioanalysis, it's replacing, but not fully replacing, and it shouldn't. No one technique will probably ever replace another one fully, okay? That's just bottom line, okay? And so, but it's complementing immunoassays and ligand binding assays ELISA assays, you know, it's complementing those and replacing them, but also complementing them. And so that's, that's really where the industry in industry is gone. And it's obviously it's being more and more miniaturized. So the smaller, more compact footprint we can get, the better, because then the, you know, the, the, in general, you can make these less expensive instruments and you can also put more instruments in the same amount of space. So that's all good. And that's just, that's just what the market has demanded for convenience from consumers, convenience and what they want. And so that certainly I think has been a lot that's changed and then, but that was the expected change to be honest, okay? Personalized medicine is gonna be coming up. That's gonna be the next, you know, 30 or 40 years. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, but we're, we're actually going to see some types of, in my opinion, personalized mass spectrometers that actually we actually have either in our house or at CVS or at Walgreens or at a local pharmacy where we test our, I don't know, biome, maybe a genome. I don't know what it's going to be. We have a, maybe a panel of tests, who knows, biomarkers. And so that's, I think that's coming up and you're seeing more and more traction in that area. Now, what has COVID done? You talk about COVID. COVID, just like whether it be how we deliver education or business, including analytical chemistry and biological chemistry has only accelerated what was going to happen anyway. We see people can work from home. We see more automation. We see more control of instruments remotely, being able to do experiments remotely. So that was going to happen anyway. The beauty of this and the opportunity in this COVID is that it's made it happen quicker. I mean, Look at how many children now are learning online. And you know what, Ramon, that was going to happen anyway. As you know, with young children, they don't need to be in a classroom to learn anymore. They just don't. They learn everything online. And I'm not sure if we'll go back to the normal way that we actually have to go to classrooms. Time will tell. No, that's good. I mean, I, I mean, having two kids in the house right now who are you know on their school lessons and, uh, and all that type of thing, I absolutely agree. I mean, I suppose where... I see, I suppose, uh, a missed opportunity is just the social interaction, is the time with friends, is that social part of it, and social shaping is so important for, for children. And I think my children are certainly missing that, not being you know in the classroom. But having said that, the learning element is, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, if you look at the working from home thing, the use of video technology, uh, you know, as you said, kind of remote ways of automating things, I think that was going to happen. 
I think it was just uh, inertia in the sector to try and you know kind of put it off as long as possible. So I think you're absolutely right, and COVID has is, is certainly done that. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and we're, we're kind of drawn to, I suppose the 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 end of our uh, time together on this on this episode, which has been as fascinating as I hoped it would be, because I just think you're such a an interesting interesting guy. So I just wanted to ask whether there are you know any um uh, any mantras or any things that you live your life by that you know kind of your kind of affirmations if you if you like for an every you know every day you tell yourself because i'm sure uh, that people would find that a very interesting given what you've achieved in your career and in your life is is truly astounding and uh, and you're very humble i have to say about about your achievements so what do you, do you do you have a mantra or an ethos or something um or any or other you know in addition to any comments or requests uh you know for the audience that are listening well you know uh, that's i guess that's an easy one for me and a hard one for me because as i've told you already i write down my vision and my mission for my life what are those and i don't necessarily need to share those there here. And I certainly have a never be outworked mindset. If there was anything that I wanted somebody to take away from me is never be outworked. Now, what a lot of people see that is, is they see it as never be outworked in all these accomplishments we've talked about. Here's what I can tell you. And you probably already know that have figured this out from me. I'm talking about also never being outworked in things like being a father, being a brother, being a friend. Um, you know, being developing your relationships. I'm also now never, I, I work harder on my relationships than I've ever worked and it is paying off. Let me tell you that. And all the things that I've studied over those last four or five years, how to improve relationships and how to make them better, it is paying off now. And so that never be out work mantra is just, it goes so far. It just, it does. And I wrote down with my children a, a, a contract. And I know this might sound crazy to some people. And I just called it the Shane Needham family values. And we wrote them down. There's five of them and we signed it and they love it. And we refer to it. They refer to it. And I'm just going to read those to you. Number one is we serve God and Jesus. Number two is we are grateful and generous. And remember when I say grateful and generous, generous doesn't mean just with money. Generous means generous with your time, generous with your words Generous how you treat people. Number three, we protect those weaker than us. Number four, we are constantly learning and improving. And number five is never be outworked. That's how I want to live my life. That's how I want my kids to live my life. That's the legacy that I want to be known. And I hope it really, really helps my children. That's it. That's a, that's a, a beautiful place to, to finish, I think, our conversation with a really inspirational uh, set of values there, which I'm sure many of us will take away and, and agree with. Um, I think they're all, you know, absolutely spot on and certainly values that I look to instill in my own family. So Shane, uh, absolute pleasure. I'm sure we could speak for hours. <laughs> we, will. we will. We will again speak very soon. I, I am so glad to be connected with you and I'm just honored and grateful for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you, Shane. And thank you for being a guest on, on Molecules Market. again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to market and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week
Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.